episode of Cubecuddle, a podcast about Kubernetes and the people who build and use it. I'm your host, Rich Burroughs. When I was thinking about potential guests for this first episode, someone that came to mind immediately was Stephen Augustus. If you've had a chance to interact with Stephen or follow him on Twitter, you probably already know what a kind and funny person he is. But he's also someone who contributes a lot to the success of Kubernetes. In our conversation, we talked about Stephen's early experiences with computing, how he got involved with Kubernetes, and what he and other folks are doing to make the Kubernetes release process better. Thanks to Stephen for being my first guest, and thank you for listening. And now, my conversation with Stephen Augustus. So welcome to Cubecuddle, my first guest, Stephen Augustus. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I'm super excited to have you on, Stephen. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, first episode of the podcast, I really wanted to get someone on who I felt like um, had a really good overview of the community and what's going on with Kubernetes. And you're one of those people... Well, let me back up a second. So I met you originally at KubeCon in Seattle. Um, and and you're somebody who you just seem to know everybody, right? <laughs> and I think I think part of that is because of your role, and we'll talk about that some. But I, I feel like you're somebody who's uh, kind of one of those glue people, you know, like the person who's like in the middle of a lot of stuff. And and that's really why I wanted to bring you on the podcast because I thought you'd you'd have some really interesting things to say about Kubernetes. Um, so to start off with, why don't you tell me about where you work and like what your job title is, things like that? Yeah, sure. So I am working at VMware right now. I am uh, the lead for the cloud native tools and advocacy team. So basically what we focus on is a lot of, obviously, Kubernetes, um, doing <laughs> <laughs> cloud native technologies, uh, really understanding uh, the ecosystem. And, and really specifically right now, we're we're moving into this this focus on, uh, if you've heard of Tanzu, um, so kind of the, the, the VMware strategy around, uh, around Kubernetes and um, really how to bring the the dev experience into that. Um, so we've, you know, I, I think that, you know, a lot of what we've done across the, the five and change years, I guess, that Kubernetes has been out um, has been around, I, I think it's it's been really focused on infrastructure, right? How to build yeah. infrastructure, how to, you know, how to deploy it, how to configure it, all the usual things that you would see as a, a sysadmin, a, a DevOpsy, production engineer, SRE type. Um, and kind of in the background has been this, the, you know, this, um, well, how do we, how do we cater to, to developers? How do we build applications that are inherently cloud native, right? Um, so a lot of our focus right now has been on how do we define that? How do we, how do we um, bring the people who are uh, working on these tools that are classically have have classically been kind of the the infrastructure types um into this the space with uh with applications and and like how do i change my mindset around building applications now that i'm building on this platform that's kind of been has kind of become like inherent in a lot of the things that we do today right um so that that's really interesting and um one of the things that I feel like is happening with Kubernetes, and I actually just had a discussion with somebody about this today, is um, the fact that um, it seems like things are moving more towards the developer, 
right? That, that as time has gone on, the, the, the developers seem to, a, a lot more of the focus seems to be about them, around them, and what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think that um, the goal has always been, if you look at, uh, if you look at DevOps and SRE or whatever you want to call it uh, today, <laughs> um, you know, the the focus is, has kind of been, okay, well, let's make the infrastructure invisible, right? Let's provide a layer on which to uh, deploy applications, to manage applications. The, the infrastructure in itself isn't interesting or isn't supposed to be interesting right it's more so and 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 definitely on from the business side it's not it's not interesting right it's it's right right you have the you know you have the the cio types and the and the and the cto types that um you know ultimately the the, the question is is about the the balance sheet right the, yeah. the how am i making money right and and the money is in the applications and you know and the time to deploy the time to to redeploy push new versions all of that stuff goes into um goes into what we actually care about right and that eventually makes it down to um to the sre types the 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 dev types to to the the, the product types right um and and i i think that that's what's most important right you know as a former field engineer and and solutions architect, uh, the question is always like, well, how can we get your things to where they need to be so your business can function <laughs> normally, right? Um, and, and that may be maybe a naive take on it, but I, I think that um, that's kind of dictating where we're moving, right? So we've, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think that's naive at all. Like. Um... I mean, as someone who, you know, traditionally came more from that ops background, um, I've found Kubernetes to be very interesting, but I've seen a lot of people, including some some developers that I have a lot of respect for, who they basically don't care about the cluster, right? Like they they want to write the application that they've been hired to write, and they couldn't care less about operating clusters. Yeah, yeah. So we actually had um, I had an opportunity to sit down uh, with some folks in New York. Um, we did a uh, dev experience dinner uh, with the folks at uh, Workbench and Tilt, um, and a, a lot of the conversation was around the um, I guess the messiness or the you know the the increased burden and, and overhead of uh, managing Kubernetes or dealing with Kubernetes in general, um, and what kind of came from that conversation was a lot, a lot of questions around, um, well, what is the dev experience in, in the first place, right? And yeah. what I proposed to the group was, um, is it, uh, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way, right? Who is the dev, right? Because there is, you know, there's the infrastructure dev type and we're starting to kind of like blur these personas. Um, but there is the, you know, there is the person who is interested in deploying their code calling it a day, right? I want the push button, make deploy yep. or deploy.sh or whatever. and Or, or just check it in. Exactly, right? right? And and GitOps does its magic or Jenkins picks it up or you know whatever tool you're using. Um, that part of the story should be somewhat invisible to that dev, right? But you know, you've also got these types that are the, um, well, if I think about any of the developers who are working on cluster API right now, right, mm -hmm. where we've, you know, we've kind of got this mindset of what if we could, what if we could write Kubernetes, uh, build Kubernetes applications or build, um, build clusters um, 
with the same primitives that we would build and deploy applications on Kubernetes, right? And that becomes this, uh, it's it's a little bit more of an interesting persona where you're thinking, you're kind of thinking as that dev, uh, but also thinking as the infrastructure person, right? So there are con considerations around the cloud platforms or maybe you're deploying to bare metal. Um, and, and you not only have to be an expert at that specific cloud platform, um, but also at the internals of Kubernetes to get it to, <laughs> to that cloud platform, right? Um, sure. So that's like a different um, that's a different skill set that you want to unlock, right? And maybe the maybe the deploy.sh doesn't work for that person. Maybe they need to see those internals, right? Um, so you know, at the end of that dinner, uh, you know, the the question was really, okay, what are you? Who are you, right? Are you are you the dev who wants to just get the thing done, get it into production, or are you the person who needs to peel the curtain back, right? And so we had we had people from Yext and and uh, and Lyft and Uber and GitHub and and Red Hat and VMware, right? And a whole bunch of different a uh, whole bunch of different personas, people who have been, uh, you know, some are engineering management, some are uh, some are devs, and some are uh, have been operations people, some have been product people. Um, so it was. A a nice little melange of, of people to, to discuss uh, that, but I think you know it's 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 not quite solved yet. It's not quite solved yet, and I think yeah. that if we had um, some canonical definition of, of of what these personas were, then we could start carving up that work. So that's really interesting because, uh, like being around infrastructure software development now for a few years myself, I'm. I'm used to seeing those personas, and and I think it really is a, a value to have those. You know, to, to uh, before I worked at Puppet, I was a, a Puppet user. I was part of that community, and it was kind of funny because I would go over to their office, and one of the personas they had on the wall was one of my coworkers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like I know exactly who that person is. You know, but. Um, but I think that being able to make it specific like that, you know, and, and have it, that person in your head, you know, really, really does help in terms of making decisions about, you know, what's going to be the best experience. Yeah, for sure. Is there a way for that to happen with Kubernetes, do you think? <laughs> um, maybe. I, I think we're moving. I think we're moving towards it. Right. We're, we're, yeah. We've started to. I think a lot of it comes from the the install provisioning maintenance story, right? And yeah. driving that to zero, right? So we have the, you know, we have the the cops and the cube sprays and the and the cube ADMs and the cluster APIs and all of these things that are you know nicely coexisting in ways and um, but overall it, it's at the end of the day it should be I want a cluster, right? And then yeah. that part that should be. 10% of the story, right? <laughs> right? And then afterwards, you figure out how to deploy your applications, how they fit in, you know, are we talking, you know, this is going in a data center, is it, uh, is it deploying to multiple cloud platforms? How do it, is it a, is it a combination of, of the two? Are the people who deploy applications in a certain place, do they have access to the infrastructure, right? Do we have to build policy around those things, mm, right? Yeah. Um, so there are so many questions that come up here, and I, I and I think it's hard to wedge, um, I think it's hard to wedge people into any one uh, box or, or shape, right? Um, I think we can. I think we're moving in that direction, um, but it, it, a lot of it comes down to the the glue, right? 
the there's there's a, a bit of glue that goes into um, well how do I how do I go from the infrastructure into deploying an application right and how do I right so you take a you know you could you could throw any tool into the sky right whether it be a, a scaffold or a Conoco or a customize or a, you know insert foo here right um, where the pieces between those tools don't necessarily like it, this is all a puzzle, right? And those pieces are not necessarily cut in a in a way that can all fit together easily, right? So, yeah. So, so one of the things that I found when I was in SRE, and it's been almost a couple years now since that was the case, but but I I found that it was difficult to just even keep up with all the things that were happening, right? Like you just named three or four tools there that, you know, potentially, you know, could do some of the same tasks. And it's like, how do you as an individual practitioner uh, find the time to like, look at these things and evaluate them and even choose which of those is going to be the best option for you? You, you don't, I don't think you do. I don't, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think you're, you're supposed to, right? So I, you know, I, come from the SRE and, and production engineering background as well. Yeah. And um, for me, it's, it's, can this get the job done? Right. I never expect a tool to be perfect. Right. Sure. I, you know, when we're doing evaluations, you're, you're going to try to find the thing that has the best fit. And from there, if you need to write glue code for that, you do that. Right. But um, I think that there is a quite a bit of time wasted in uh in the fragmentation right and kind of trying to suss out that that fragmentation um so i i think you know my suggestion at least for a team picking this up is pick something right just <laughs> pick something and and see if it works for you right yeah because what you what you get out of not wasting the time on trying to find the perfect tool is you get feedback you get feedback loops right where you get to figure out like well this is what I need out of this tool, or this is what I need out of the next tool that I choose, right? It's a, it's a good point, and I'm definitely somebody who, at times, I've fallen into that trap of kind of looking for the perfect solution, you know, as opposed to just getting something done. Yeah, I mean, and there is no there is no perfect solution, right? Re remember that whoever's designing it is, you know, they are initially designing it with them in mind, right? They had a problem. Right. And they probably wanted to solve that problem and they wrote some code and it became a thing that was big enough to to share with the world. Um, so always consider like that's a separate persona. That persona may not be yours. Right. Yeah. Hey, so I wanted to back up. We launched immediately into this uh, really <laughs> interesting conversation and, and we didn't even get to some of my initial questions that I wanted to ask. Um, so back up for a minute. And uh, I wonder if you could tell me about how you got into computing in the first place like what was it that that kind of drew you into that yeah sure i think um i was always an indoors kid i guess right <laughs> <laughs> so uh the, not computer per se but i used to have those like little vtech machines and um so I, I think you know one of my one of my first few computers i spent a lot of time like just looking at it and seeing what it could do and and opening up the hood and staring around and i didn't know much um but like i think closer to um end of junior high high school um you know when 
AOL and and all those things were hot. Um, yep. I also started staring at like the the Windows um, the Windows betas, right? Or the like the Windows RCs, and um, and I would I would basically reformat the computer. But, my mom would come home. There'd be no internet. Uh, there'd be no computer, really. Uh, um, so I, I, some of the interest was was there um, at a younger age. I was always I, I always really enjoyed math um, in in school um, and science and just kind of the way that things work in general. Yeah. Um, so fast forward a little bit, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, I spent some time. I spent some time at school for computer engineering and the time was pretty short. Um, I kind of felt to myself that I wasn't going to do computer engineering, I, at least from the hardware perspective. Um, for the rest of my life, I was like, I don't really enjoy this. There's something about it that I'm not, um, it's not clicking for me. And um, my friends, so I left, I left uh, mm -hmm. college and my friends were, um, they were like, hey, well, you, well, you fixed this printer and you fixed the, the issue on, you know, on, on my phone and you did this and like, why don't you do that? Like, why don't you consider like IT stuff? And I was like, you know what? You might be right. Um, so the, I, the, when I started getting into it, um, a lot of it was uh, going to Barnes and Noble, um, just sitting there for hours and reading through books, buying stacks of books. Um, I think two of the books that I've, first two of the big books that i first finished cover to cover was kind of like the the mcse uh certification exam books and the uh and the the ccna ones right um, oh wow yeah so i was kind of straddling between the uh the idea of being you know maybe this corp corp it windows admin type person or uh, network engineering right um you know those ccnas get paid yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So at the time, I was I was kind of looking at it and going, well, you know, I'm someone who's coming into this with no experience, right? Um, yeah. And maybe the easiest way to get a foot in the door is to get credentialed, right? So that's kind of why I picked up the books. Um, but you know, floating in the back of my head was also these. Um, well, it'd be cool to be a hacker, right? You know, so looking at <laughs> <laughs> so looking at like the uh, the CEH, the Certified Ethical Hacker uh, exam, oh, very cool stuff like that. Um, so I, the the Windows is where it started. I did the network engineering stuff for a little bit. Um, the the story that I usually tell is, you know, I was unsuccessful at a bunch of job interviews and and uh, finally just got pissed off. And and um, <laughs> as you do, right? I, I think anyone who yeah. has uh, gone through the 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 job hunt is, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that takes perseverance, and you get yeah down you get down sometimes right so it's like you have to you have to keep knocking at the door and i was sitting in an interview with this guy and uh you know i i said hey listen i know that anyone who comes in here is is going to beat me on experience right i like i haven't done it yet i haven't done it yet because yeah. no one's given me an opportunity but i guarantee that i can beat them on just raw knowledge and if you give me that opportunity, I'll crush it. I'll come in and crush it. Um, so that turned into a pop quiz during the interview, and I crushed it. And the guy was like, "All right, let's let's check it out. Let's see what's going on." That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that was whew, that was uh, I don't know, fourteen, 
13, 14 years ago, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what brought you to Kubernetes specifically? Ah, Kubernetes. My, <laughs> my current love. Uh, um, so I so fast forward some more years um, after doing some Windows stuff and some cross-platform Windows Mac Linux stuff on the corporate IT side and sysadmin and sysengineering and whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I, I started looking at like what was next. Like I felt like I was um, I say this to people who are looking to get involved. Um, I think that you're, if you're looking at IT as just a singular thing, a singular, like you're, you're missing it, right? This is like a, a puzzle and nothing exists in a vacuum. Um, so if you are happy with only focusing on one thing, I think you're missing it, right? Mm -hmm. um, the way that uh, you know, the way that protocols interconnect across different layers of of a stack and, and things like that, right? It's it's not just one role, um, and you really to be successful, you need to know a little bit of it all. Um, so, I started saying to myself, "What's next?" Right. Um, so I'd been doing the corporate IT stuff for a while and and enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, yeah. But kind of wanted to accelerate the career, and and what kind of jumped out at me was uh, operations engineering or web operations or whatever you want to call it, right? And actually working on you know the infrastructure behind websites and and looking at the cloud and all these really interesting buzzwords. Um, so yeah, so I, I got a job at a at a company where the IT department was pretty small. It was myself and my boss. Um, and my boss was the um, was was the the DevOps engineering department essentially, right? Uh, <laughs> but so and and I was kind of the 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 manager for corporate IT, right? So um, what was what was cool about that was I got to leverage the experience that I had on the corporate IT side. Um, I was like, I know I know that cold, right? Yeah. The the DevOpsy stuff is what I don't know yet. Um, and you know that interview was that interview was a lot of fun. Usual ways the interviews go and uh and then towards the end he he slid me a piece of paper he's like okay let's like let's do some scenarios or something right um so he's like cto calls you you got to build a website what are you going to do You're like okay well you put these things here and you like all right he is like okay he calls you on saturday and says that the the site traffic has spiked um you know and we start going into this discussion and i'm like well you know is it you know, is it uh, you know, is it uh, hits on the uh, hits on the 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 website itself, or are they are they database hits? You know, so we started talking about this stuff, and he's like, okay, well, let's say they're you know, let's say they're database hits. I'm like, okay, well, you could scale it this way, right? It's like, okay, well, what if it's the web servers? Like, okay, well, you add more web servers, and you toss a load balancer in, and you do all these things, and he's like, okay, he's like. Yeah, he's like, you know, so we're so we started geeking out for a while, and I was like, okay, this could work. Um, so. Had some fun there. Um, yeah. Spent, uh, you know, and, and then... By, by the way, I don't want to work at the place where the CTO is calling me on Saturday about how slow the website is. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, um, I, and I, I think I did say that during the interview. Right? Like, he's not actually calling, though, right? <laughs> Purely hypothetical. So we, do we have monitoring software? Or... <laughs> yeah. Eventually, we did. We, we did. Um, so, 
so so you know the the next role for me was at namely and um so namely hris payroll benefits software uh startup and um and because i wanted to do the the devopsy thing full time right um so joined a team of DevOps engineers. And um, I think the second I walked in the door, I started rallying against the name DevOps engineers. Uh, <laughs> um, but there we, you know, it, there was a clear, uh, you know, there, there were clear divisions on, on what needed doing, right? So we were looking at containers at this point, and we had a platform um, called Broadway because that's where our staging environments were. So it's like there were stages on Broadway, and I was like, oh, that's cute, oh, right? That <laughs> cute. That's cute. Um, so we had Broadway, and Broadway was running on Docker Swarm, um, taped together with a bunch of Bash scripts. And Was this the old Swarm? This is old Swarm. This is like yeah. OG Swarm, yeah. Um, so, so if you've, you know, if you've used it, you know how you feel about it. And, um, so we were looking at extending that, right? So, so we had one of the engineers looking into, okay, what could we build out next? Can we do production on Swarm and what would it take? And, uh, and then we had the second, uh, DevOps engineer looking at, uh, Rancher. And there was kind of like a gap in the middle. I was like, something's missing. I'm not sure what it is, but like, I'm going to go down the middle and figure out what this is. Right. Um, and, you know, did some research. You know, this is the, this is that discovery phase where you're looking at the tools and you're trying to find the perfect one. And, um, you know, I started looking at the, the CoreOS stuff, right? Um, had heard about Kubernetes. I started looking into Kubernetes and I, and, uh, you know, the, the spiel would usually go, like, well, Google can run on the order of 2 billion containers a week on this right. thing. Like, why? Like, I feel like this would suit our needs. Um, so what it came down to was, um, I was like, okay, we've got these containers. We're going to connect them in all these wonderful ways. Um, but how are we going to discover these things, right? I was like, I feel like in this this puzzle, we're missing uh, the idea of service discovery, right? So started looking into that. Started looking into um, you know at CD and console and and trying to figure out like what was the what was the right fit and. Um, and I think that, you know, this goes back into, I'm saying puzzle a lot because I think it's important. Um, I, I, you know, it goes back into the, uh, this idea of, of finding the pieces that fit, right? Yeah. And, you know, you may not always need or want to choose a solution uh, from a single place down the stack, but um, the, the, the proposition that CoreOS was providing at the time, right? So you had, you had etcd, you had Fleet, you had Flannel, and you could you could lump all of that stuff into into Kubernetes eventually, and then also you know on the side, it's this this idea of this uh, no frills, uh, secure by default operating system. Um, with a backing um, update server, and and then you've also got Quay for for container uh, as a container registry, right? So, the, you know they're they're putting out they put everything in the box for you, right? Yeah. Um. So it was a very you know a very obvious uh very obvious choice for me at the time, um. But it took a little selling internally, and um, you know I remember one of the start one of the uh, the standups that we had, we were we were like, all right, let's you know prio the backlog as you do, and um. 
my boss goes, he's like, hey, well, you know, I think we need to start looking into uh, service discovery. And um, I go, well, it's funny you say that, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we go to the Trello board in this column called Icebox, which is where everything, you know, the backlog where everything goes to die. And uh, and I was like, okay, check out that card right there, right? And it had, you know, a list of all, all of my research um, around some of the CoreOS technology. And he was like, this is the most important thing, and then dragged it to the top of the board. Um, so that was, you know, that was kind of the start of it. And, um, you know, so we met with the we met with the sales team uh, for uh, to start talking about Tectonic. And at the time, I think the you know the sales team that we met was uh, was Polvi, um, <laughs> Jeff Gray, and Redbeard. Right. So. Uh, so I was like, oh, they sent the, he the heavy hitters <laughs> for the sales call. So, um, you know, we, we talked about, we, we talked about integrating that with some of our systems and, you know, we're using Ansible at the time. So yeah. I'm hacking around Ansible to make, to make it work with CoreOS and that's fun. Um, so lots of, you know, lots of things there. And, um, I think right around the same time, the, uh, the New York Kubernetes meetup started. And, mm. um, and it was the first, you know, so it's the first official night, uh, it was like hosted at DigitalOcean and I'm, I'm sorry that I can't remember the second speaker, but, uh, but the person I was there to see was Tim Hawken. Right. Um, I was like, this is phenomenal. One of, you know, one of the people who are responsible for this thing. Um, yeah. this all also happened to be, uh, the night before, uh, the night before we started a tech breakfast series, right? And we're like, okay, well, the SRE team now rebranded as SRE because I, I shoved that that down everyone's throat. Um, you you won. I won. I won, won eventually. Fight. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so you know, so the SRE team wanted to kick off this tech breakfast, and we're like, okay, well, um, well, if we're going to do the tech breakfast, my boss said well, you should do the first one and you should do the first one on Kubernetes because that's, you know, that's what we're going to live and breathe very soon. Yeah. Um, so for that to happen right around the time that, um, you know, right around the, the time that the New York uh, Kubernetes meetup was kicking off, it just felt, you know, it, it, it just felt perfect, right? It, it was kind of serendipitous. Um, and, you know, everyone was crowding, you know, the, the, I, I, I tell Tim this every now and again, um, but we're like we're crowding Tim. We're like you know we're kind of we're kind of fanboying and girling. Fanboys, sure. Yeah, and uh, you know um, that I think his his talk at the time and just the way that he interacted with people, right? Um, yeah. Very very kind person. Very incredibly knowledgeable, obviously. And uh, you know that kind of that kind of was was the pull to. Like okay, well maybe like this is a really cool community, right? If people like the like this are are responsible for um, for maintaining and and uh, and bolstering this community, then it's it's something that is really interesting to me. Um, so so you all then were were pretty early adopters in production. Yeah, this was um, I want to say this was like one two one three. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we we definitely 
continued treading down the the Docker Swarm path on on the Broadway side for a while, but we were also testing uh, Kubernetes in the background, and uh, yeah, I I would say it worked out well. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, so I want to shift gears to what you're doing now. So um, uh, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate with the things you're doing for VMware, but you also are very involved in Kubernetes itself. So you're uh, someone who's involved in the release process. You're one of the chairs, I think. Yes. Of the SIG release. Yes. And I think you're a chair of at least one other SIG as well. Yeah, so I, I guess to maybe continue the the getting involved with the community story, I yeah. While I was at, um, so I guess fast forward a year and a half, two years maybe. Um, uh, Blake, the the director of recruiting at CoreOS, reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, hey, let me tell you about CoreOS," and you know the you know the usual recruiter spiel, and I was like, Blake. I was like, Blake, skip the story. Like, <laughs> I know CoreOS. I love CoreOS. Like, let's make it happen, right? Um, so I was actually the only customer who became a uh, became an employee at CoreOS. That was my experience at Puppet as well. I, I had been a customer before I worked there, and uh, it's. I think it's a it's a really neat experience, you know, to be able to go and work for a vendor whose tools you already use and love. Ex you know, exactly. So really, really beautiful experience. I I was um, working on the field engineering team, and uh, the first project I got was um, was a lot. It was a few things, right? It was uh, the First time I was doing field engineering, uh, the first time I was touching Azure, and uh, and there's another first that I'm forgetting right now. But anyhow, I get to this project. Can you tell me what mm -hmm. what a field engineer meant there? Like what you were doing? Yeah, sure. So that's actually um, delivery of the the solutions that we provide, right? So whether it's you know whether it's Tectonic or or um, Core Update or Quay or actually delivering that solution. So discussing with the customers. Um, so that's the strictly uh, well primarily post sales, right? There was a little little pre sales tossed in there too, depending on the the engagement. Um, yeah. But yeah, going on going on site and actually doing the thing. Um, so that was exciting to me because I spent the, the 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 front half of my career doing kind of like short-term contracts, um, and the the you know one as a resume builder and two because I didn't want to get locked into any one uh, person's or company's idea of what. Uh, a deployment looked like, what an implementation looked like, what a you know what a set of technologies was supposed to look like. I wanted to experience a little bit of everything. Um, so so I like the field engineering role insofar as you get to do that, right? you you get to kind of take the experiences that you've had in the past and and build again, you're taking you're taking these pieces and you're turning it into a complete puzzle, uh, hopefully yeah. for your customer, right. Um, <laughs> So, so you know, so Tectonic was built um, primarily uh, Terraform, right? And um, the oh, right, first time uh, contributing to open source, right? That was the that was the other first. Um, so yeah, so it was built on top of Terraform, and there's some things that were not built into Terraform uh, around uh, Azure support, right? So some mm -hmm. some levers for, for load balancers and security groups and, and stuff like that. Um, so poking around their forums and, and eventually like 
oh, well, this is something I could probably add to the module myself, right? And worked on doing some of that. And then, you know, it got to the point where uh, we didn't have uh, the support for certain things in Kubernetes for Azure, right? So I had to go a little higher, right? Um, so I started hanging out in the, the Azure meetings, um, the SIG Azure meetings, and, uh, and then towards you know, the, a little deeper into the project, um, Jace, who is one of my favorite people, um, Jason. Jace is fantastic. Yeah. Um, one of my, my great mentors in, in the community, um, he was moving over to Google and, and said, like, I'm not going to be, I'm not, it doesn't make sense for me to be managing the, the, the Azure stuff anymore. Um, sure. And you're someone who's been consistently showing up at the meetings and, and taking interest in this. Um, do you want to run it? And I was like, wow, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, so the first uh, chair role that I had was for SIG Azure. Um, okay. So SIG Azure is now part of, uh, uh, it's a sub-project of um, SIG cluster, uh, SIG cloud provider, excuse me. <laughs> and um, so many SIGs, so little time. <laughs> um, yeah. But I also took interest in some of the, uh, some of the work around release NPM, right? So currently I'm, I'm a, a co-chair for SIG PM as well as a co-chair for SIG release. Um, release happened in kind of a similar manner. Um, Jace was uh, sh uh, load shedding and I was like, hey, I'm interested again. <laughs> so what, what was it that, that drew you to working on the release stuff? Because to me, like, like I feel like release management can be a pretty thankless task. And then on top of that, as big of a project as Kubernetes, you know, honestly, thinking about being responsible for that is, is a little scary <laughs> from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it is daunting, but it's also, I mean, I think in that fear is a little excitement. The... Um, for me, I think what I've tried to do is um, find uh, find things that are unloved or find things that are under resourced, and um, I found some some opportunities there for for both PM. So I was on the release team first, and um, so I think that was one ten and one eleven. Um, so I, I took the the shadowed for the enhancements role, right and um, my first thought was like, okay, there's there's a guy, and the guy's name is Ehor, and Ehor had been kind of running the the enhancement show for uh, what was it nine cycles or something by himself, and uh, mm -hmm. and I was like that right there, I was like that's an opportunity. Like this this guy has been working on this by himself for nine cycles. Like that that's crazy. Um, let me see if I can help out there. Um, I found enhancements to be, well, it's called features at the time, um, but I found enhancements to be really cool because um, it's like, I, I want to try to inject myself in the middle of a critical thing and try to be successful at it. Um, so what was cool about en enhancements is that it is, it is the start of the release process, right? The release yeah. process starts off with feature or enhancement collection, right? And figuring out what the shape of this is going to be, right? And I was like, this is a great way. You're 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 a bit of a. I, I think all of the um, the release team roles are um, some of them are, are heavily technical, 
but I think that you know for the the release team lead, I you know I consider them to be the the great cat herder of the quarter, right? And and you are hurting you're hurting a set of cats that are hurting more cats. It's, <laughs> it's a, recursive cat herding. Recursive cat herding. <laughs> so you know each of the roles in the release team they have these these very specific. Uh, things that they focus on, whether it be enhancements or, or communications, making sure that the the podcast go, you know, the the podcast. No, we're on a podcast right now, not this. Um, but the webinar, the CNCF webinar, and the you know publications and the blogs, all that stuff goes out on time. The five days of Kubernetes, um, the, where they highlight different enhancements. Uh, and coordinating with all of those people, right? So that requires coordination with all of the people who are involved in actually, you know, the the, the creation of, of of the enhancement. And then, you know, you've got CI Signal, who, um, you know, CI Signal is responsible for like making sure our boards are green before we release, right? So they're chasing down people who are responsible for the tests that may or may not be failing at any one point, right? And you've got bug triage, right? So bug triage is currently um, sweeping through all of Kubernetes, all 2,000 plus issues and uh, 900 something PRs in Kubernetes and pinging people and saying like, hey, is this going to get in for 118? Are you are we actually doing this? Um, so like all of, you know, so there these different, um, there's definitely these different personas, but they're all, um, uh, really responsible for for hurting the community into um, yeah. into responsiveness um so you know i think that's i, I think there's a big a people aspect of um of of that team and i i found that you know jumping in at the front uh in enhancements would give me an opportunity to meet a lot of people right because I would have to ping them about their issues and see what's going on. Yeah. I was like, they would just learn about what we're doing and what I'm doing just by way of me poking them on a, a GitHub issue or, or, you know, or emailing them or slacking them. Um, and, you know, we worked on some improvements around the enhancements, uh, tracking sheets and, you know, that work. Um, I, I, you know, I also kind of see the release team as this uh, jumping off point. So I kind of like make this, it's not a grand speech or anything, but at the beginning of every cycle, you know, I say, hey, we're excited that you're here. All the new shadows, the new leads. Um, one, I want you to question the process, right? Come in, don't assume that anything is right, right? This is an iterative process. And the only way that we're going to continue to be successful is if we question the things that we're doing, like try to identify improvements in, in, in what we're doing day to day. Um, so, you know, around that, we, we've also, I think, I think it was 111. Um, I was like, it'd be really cool if I knew what to do right i actually knew how to do this job if there was you know if you've you know been in it in some shape or form there you eventually write a technical doc or a run book right and and that didn't exist at the time so i i was like ehor can i bounce some ideas off of you like i'm gonna try to guess what this job is and I'm going to write it down 
and you know and then give it to you and then and, and tear it apart right and tear it apart let, like let's figure out what this is because i don't think that it's fair um for you to have to do this <laughs> for nine cycles right like let's figure out how to build continuity in this process and um and the handbooks were cool and i think they they gain traction to the point where we do them in all of we do them for all of the teams now um that's fantastic and then contributor experience also started picking up the handbook process too right so they're documenting each of these different roles and um you know whether you're on the, the, the blog team the marketing team the what have you right um so I think that that was a, a net improvement. Um, but in doing that role, I also saw an opportunity to um, try to improve just the way that we were uh, talking about um, enhancements, right? Mm -hmm. And this is another uh, push in rebranding, really, right? So we're calling them features before, and I think it's easy to call something a feature. Um, it's very clear that, you know, you mark something as kind feature in, in Kubernetes, and we're like, you kind of know what it is, right? You push a PR, you get it in, you're like, okay, I've added a new thing. It's a feature, right? Um, but the way that we build in, in Kubernetes, right, they're usually these massive things, right? And they don't all land at once, right? So the, the idea was to take, um, take something that could be like figure out how many blocks of work it would take to do something, right? So you take something that can be executed in one cycle and we call that a feature, right? You take something that needs multiple, uh, multiple blocks of execution across multiple cycles, that's an enhancement. Okay. Right. And um, and and it you know there's a there a higher level of, of rigor around delivering an enhancement, right? Because as you move through those phases, you have to consider, um, you know, with any software project, if you, you know, if you're hacking on something in the middle of the night on your laptop. I, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, having that infrastructure background where you're like, I just need this thing to work. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and it needs to serve my purpose exactly. And that's really it. it. And on the infrastructure side, like, if you wrote some tests too, like, wow, surprising, awesome, right? But not really a requirement, right? If you know the thing is going to work, um, and it's and it's sad to say, but it is, you know, it is kind of the um, the, the shape of some of it sometimes. Um, but you take, you know, you, you consider that to be like, well, what if I just landed a feature? Very simple, right? Um, the the rigor in moving uh, something through graduation criteria, so the 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 alpha, beta, GA, right? That changes across each cycle, right? Um, you know, for for alpha, it's like, did we land it? Okay, there's a feature flag. It works, sort of. Maybe it works. Maybe people want to try it. Maybe they don't. Who knows? Maybe they'll only want to try it when it hits beta, right? And that tends to be the case sometimes, right? Um, moving into beta, um, you've got like maybe we should write tests, documentation for these things. You know, try to try to boost it on the blog and social media, and and get people to actually try this. Um, get right. it to the point where uh, vendors would consider integrating it into their product. Right. You know. So we, you know, we had kind of a a, a bit of a policy uh, on the tectonic side that we were, uh, you know, a little defensive against um, introducing uh, features that were in alpha state to the product mm. right and that totally makes sense right um but it also it kind of also signifies like well if the vendors aren't willing to do it 
why should I like <laughs> that's that's super that's that you know they, they have the um, they have the people power to you know to to jump through those hoops and and maybe I don't you know so so one of the things that kills me to see is is um features getting stuck in beta or features um features being promoted for the sake of uh of usage right or yeah. you know um so it's it's stuff like that but but actually how do we define that how do we you know create a, essentially a rubric for um for understanding how to move an enhancement through this process, right? And and that's that's the cap, right? That's the right, right. So so explain what a cap is to folks who might not know. Sure. So so cap stands for Kubernetes enhancement proposal, and um, you know so this is this is an idea that that is kind of rooted in in quite a few people. Um, you know Caleb Miles has has done a lot of work to drive this process forward. And, um, you know, you've got Tim Hawken and Brian Grant and uh, Eric Toon and a bunch of other people who have laid hands on um, the idea of a design proposal in Kubernetes, right? Yeah. Um, so, and literally everyone who has been in SIG architecture really has has touched this as well. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure if I already said it, but it stands for Kubernetes Enhancement Proposal, right? Yeah. And it has some some uh, similarities to like the 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 PEPs, right? The the Python Enhancement Proposals, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is that like, can we lay down an idea and commit it to the project's history, right? Um, so that we can, you know, it's not scattered in Google Docs, which is I mean, which is still a thing we do, right? Uh, but but they should eventually make them their their way into into caps. Um, so can we define uh, what the enhancement is, right? Can we tell enough? I I think you learn a lot about um, what you're trying to do by trying to describe it to someone, right? So if you are able to, so the, the first things that we ask for are a summary of, of the enhancement and then uh, motivation, right? Um, yeah. So motivation is like, why are we, why are we doing this? What's the benefit to the community, right? And the summary is just kind of like what this thing actually is, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, moving, you know, moving down the line for the cap, we, you know, we implemented the release team checklist, which, which came maybe in 114 one something like that um and the idea behind the checklist was to 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 make sure that the release team had what they needed um yeah. to help uh to help enhancement uh owners move their enhancement forward right so it's you know do you have docs on the website are all of the pieces that you said for this enhancement actually going to land at the time that they they are right has the cap itself been updated right so like di different questions that we ask and it you know it's kind of in the form of a checklist and then the checklist gets committed to the repo right yeah um you know, and then we're also asking things like design details right so maybe you know maybe as a passerby i'm only interested in uh the the summary and the motivation right and maybe some some very sparse details about how i might do the thing right whereas you know on the design details side the implementation side um someone who's closer to that sig or closer to that area of work or is going to care about the nitty-gritty right 
so that's an opportunity to to expand uh, on to uh, expound on on some of that stuff um you know the some more of the sections that we added recently are like the test plan right <laughs> and uh, you know so explicitly asking like how are you going to test this right how, how does that happen um and you know i wrote a cap on Friday or the weekend or something like that, because I wanted to try out some new things. Um, and, you know, that one, you, you also have an optional section for user stories, right? So then, you know, from the from the scope of uh, uh, product uh, program project manager, you start to get like, what are we trying to accomplish and who are we trying to do that for? Right. right, you get these like really concrete stories. So the the one that I was writing was about um, issue triage, right? And that's why I know some of those numbers the the two thousand plus the you know the two thousand plus issues that are in Kubernetes Kubernetes and then the nine hundred plus PRs that are in Kubernetes Kubernetes right now. Those are amazing numbers. Yeah, and it, it's but you look at you 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 just hear those numbers and 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 you've got to ask the question like how how do I maintain that? How do we maintain that as a project, right? And, you know, we're hitting, um, and I, I think we've been, we've been bumping at it for a while is the, the kind of the figuring out how to, how to grow the, the reviewer approver pool, right? Mm. Because ultimately, if you look at kind of the, the SIG governance structure, the, the overall organizational structure, right, where you have, you know, for, for people on the call who are not familiar with the structures, um, there are a few different groups, um, committees, uh, user groups, working groups, uh, SIGs, and subprojects, right? So subprojects are within SIGs, and they own a portion of code, right? They, the subproject is the primary delegate for for ownership of some code, right? Working groups are cross-cutting efforts that are supposed to be short-lived efforts, whatever short short-lived is you know the the time box is is depending on what the effort is right um but the idea is that it's it's cross-cutting um maybe it's multiple sigs multiple sub projects a combination of sigs sub projects and committees what like it could really be anything right but the idea is that we get a bunch of these organizational structures together to try to solve a specific problem right so i, I think one of the the interesting ones that you know I have the opportunity to to get involved with is um is uh, working group Kate's infra right and working group Kate's infra kind of started around the time that Google uh, donated the nine million in credits uh, for uh, for usage um, mm -hmm. for the project um, and and you know the work around uh, the work for Kate's infra is essentially around moving the projects that we have that's currently on Google infrastructure, Google internal infrastructure over to community owned infrastructure. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's very interesting to see that like right now we're essentially, we're, we're peeling back the onion. We're trying to understand all the layers of different <laughs> things that we've deployed over, over time um, and how to rebuild them in, in a place that the community owns. Um, yeah. And this kind of, leads into more of the release stuff right so i you know when i was on release i um was initially working in enhancements i jumped over to the pm stuff right now and and um was staring at was staring at how to improve that process for for people right and kind of um 
carrying this ball that was that was there for a while and we had made some great progress on um but we were at a place where we were getting ready to i guess refactor the ball get a better ball um <laughs> and, and you know ho hoping that you know some of the work that we put down um for enhancements made sense um improving you know deprecating the the design proposals uh cutting them over to their own repo starting to 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 communicate this starting to inject it into the release process and and make it um, mandatory for the release process, right? As kind of a force, forcing function for people who are working on enhancements. Um, so I think those have been net improvements, and and we're you know we're starting to talk about more of the stuff that we're going to be doing. So if you are, um, oh, I can't announce that yet, so I won't announce that. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know if you're if you're around for for KubeCon Amsterdam, um, come find me us. Um, Okay. We can talk a little bit more about what's um, what's coming down the pike for for um, for enhancements. I think it's it's exciting to see that there is um, it's kind of a, a fever pitch of um, like we need improvement. We need more improvements, right? So we're starting to look at more um, automation around that process, the um, presentation mechanisms for some of those things, right? Can we can we push it to a point where we don't have to search in a repo for things? Yeah. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, it seems like being able to scale people's efforts would be super important with the size of a project like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess going back to your question <laughs> <laughs> um, around getting involved in release and um, you know, kind of in injecting yourself into something that is... Uh, is is massive and scary um yeah i like massive and scary sometimes right um the what was exciting is like you know i, I was I, I saw people at core os who were responsible for like we we had an, an upstream team at core OS that was dedicated to delivering um delivering stuff to to both the the upstream community as well as to the product side um and and some of uh, you know, some of those folks were um, were also release managers, right? Um, and you know we had you know we had one of our first um, non Google release managers there, right? Um, so what was I, I think the 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 ball of wax to try to or yarn or you know, choose <laughs> insert metaphor here to try to like peel back was. Um, how do we get that process into the hands of the community, right? Yeah, and we're we're only you know more recently getting to the point where we can say that we're we're close. Um, so if if I'm someone who wants to get involved, so you mentioned shadowing earlier, mm -hmm. and I've heard about this a little bit. So there is a program where I can come in, and I'm not required to have any experience at all with Kubernetes releases, and I can come in and shadow people and learn about how they do their job. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we have uh, we have two programs, right? Um, the first is the the release team shadow program, right? So every cycle, uh, we post the cycles in uh, github.com slash kubernetes slash sig release, slig hyphen 
release, um, where you can view the upcoming release schedule or the current release schedule, um, as well as like the patch releases that are coming out. But essentially, we we execute on a release every quarter, right? So it's a it's about a three month cycle, and towards the end of that cycle, um, we solicit for for shadows, right? We open a, a questionnaire for about two weeks or so. Um, depends on you know if there are holidays coming up or you know. Sure. Um, but we we open that up and we open it up for about two weeks and and we we gather a set of like excited to be here people right whether whether they're existing contributors who haven't um, who have been on the on the release side before um, or are not involved in SIGs at all um, yeah. or, you know, have not been introduced to the project in any way, shape or form, right? Outside of hearing it, we get applications from all of those types. And, uh, you know, I think the last two, I think the last two cycles, um, the first time that we opened up the, the application, I think we might've had like high hundreds, maybe 200 responses wow. um, to the survey. Um, and then we kind of, I think we kind of tightened up the communication around when we say it's out and, and how long we keep it open for. Um, and we kind of drove that number down to about 80 or so, right? And I think it's, um, I think it's a bit more of a manageable number to, um, to consider. Uh, Especially given that you know it becomes the responsibility of the incoming leads um, to select their shadows, right? And yeah. you know they've got so you you take the uh, seven, six or seven positions right now um, over over the eighty applications, and then think about having to <laughs> to uh, to stack rank uh, you know some of those candidates, and then reach out to them, interview them. Uh, and see if they'd actually be a good fit for the, the, the. And this isn't the only thing these people have going on, right? This is <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we wanted to make it as fair as possible to um, to the people who are actually executing the role. Um, I I love saying that. I usually say this at the the beginning of a release as well. Um, the release team is really interesting because it's uh, it's kind of like you're learning to do the thing while. Um, while doing the thing while trying to teach it right <laughs> um so like you've got these you've got these three forces at work um including you know including maybe you're not even staffed to do kubernetes upstream work for your day job right so it becomes like how do i balance all these priorities um time zones right come into play too yeah we have a global release team and um you know and it's very important to consider um you know, classically, the the uh, the release team has been we, we lean towards uh, Pacific time zone, right? U.S. Pacific time zone, and that that you know that kind of comes from the people who had access to do the releases all lean towards the Pacific time zone. Where's Google, right? Um, yeah. So you know, now that we have we have people from we have people from germany and london and india and new zealand and you know in all of these places uh in africa right at like all of these places across so many time zones trying to figure out when's the right time for these people to meet yeah and and is are we considering that time zone because it's during their working hours maybe they can only work on kubernetes after hours 
right? So that, you know, it, a lot of these things, so, uh, you know, staring at time zones while we're considering these applications too, especially like, okay, what's the time zone relative to lead? What's the, you know, <laughs> what's the skill set, right? Trying to pull in a, a balance of um, people that we know can do the work as well as people who we want to teach the work, right? So trying to have this balance of this old and new, and then also, considering uh considering gender diversity and ethnic diversity and geographic diversity and uh, you know and trying to b build that into the team I, I think that you know for 116 117 um we had about 46 percent non-white male on the team oh that's fantastic right so we we try to we we, we try to tweak for this pretty intently um because i think that you know i, th I think that um you know definitely as a uh, as a uh, uh black person i think it's it's always nice to see um not the usual faces right um, yeah I, th <laughs> I think that's the, the nicest way to <laughs> to say that um but you know i, I think yeah and I, I think that you know if you you know if you have a project like this that's big and needs a lot of work you know it's to your benefit to have sort of as as wide of a net as possible in terms of the kinds of people you want to bring in you know yeah yeah so i mean in in terms of uh you know the the, the next phase that we see for people and I, I think i forgot to say this before but you know what i see the release team as is they're not just the cat herders right because that's definitely i think that's definitely part of the job for any sig right figuring out how to bring people together at the right times get the information that you need to get x thing done right um but the the second part is it's it's kind of a jumping off point i i want it to be a jumping off point for people right um the sigs have uh the the the, the roles have uh reach into a bunch of different sigs right so if you look at uh enhancements it's it's pm and contributor experience right if you look mm -hmm. at ci signal there are clear links to uh the working group uh kate's infra as well as sig testing right you look at comms again that's you know that's pm and and uh, contributor experience and bug triage that's a little bit contributor experience as well right but they have these angles into different sigs where um i want someone who's on the release team to be looking at like what is my what is what is my career ladder look like in kubernetes yeah right um how do how do i become the best version of myself in this project right um and i think that's i think that it, it, that's really important to me because i was given those opportunities um and encouraged to to fail in a safe way yeah um and extremely extremely grateful for for that kind of stuff um so I, I think that it's it's important that you know it's it can't just be me it can't just be a few people it we have to build something that allows uh, uh, uh automate us out of a job or you know, figure out what a success <laughs> the succession path is right um yeah you know it's you can't hold multiple sig titles you can't you know it's like you can but does it always need to be you and that's you know that's something that i've um now that i've amassed all these hats i you know it's one of those things that i look at and like okay well how can i have i done the thing that i feel like i should have done here is it something that i can hand off to someone can i have i built this in a way that i can hand it off to someone right so that that's really interesting because you you know you came in being the person who's trying to help somebody who is the single person on the hook for a thing and now you're on the hook for a bunch of things yeah <laughs> 
and, and maybe need some people to help you. Yeah. So I, I, you know, so we, we started doing, um, so more recently we spun up the, uh, release engineering subproject. The release engineering subproject has like, has been really cool. It's, I, I think it was the, I guess it was the first subproject I've spun up. And, um, the, the idea there is like, let's destroy the technical debt that we have around the release engineering tooling, right? Um, you know, just before this call, you know, I'm staring at a, uh, and, and for the past few weeks too. Um, so if you've seen any announcements about like release delays or we broke a tool in a weird way that came from me, um, it's because we have this tool called Anago and, and Anago is an 1800 plus line bash script that, that imports a bunch of bash libraries. Um, and it is, uh, it, it's time for it to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen some tweets from you about writing bash and anger. Yes. Yes. Um, and you know, that's not to, that's not to cast aspersions on, on what it was, but you know, yeah, of course not. We, we have, it's a sustainable ability thing, right? It, it's gotten to the point where I understand enough of it to, try to figure out or am able that, that I'm able to figure out uh, fairly well quickly ish uh, um, where a problem might be in Inago. Um But that, that means that it becomes my job or Tim's job, right? Tim Pepper, um, who's one of the co-chairs, right? To stare at Inago and go, okay, well, this is where the release broke, right? And this is how we can make this very delicate change to unbreak the release right <laughs> and um and it's very hard to do in 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 shell code right um especially at that that scale so uh the, before this call i was working on essentially stubbing out the replacement and go and um you know so we that's fantastic man yeah so it's it's moving it's a moving along and that wouldn't be possible without uh us actually building a team um around some of this stuff right so the the so we had two roles on the release team uh three roles actually um so the first one was the patch release manager right now the patch release manager we moved out of the release team we moved it into this bucket and the bucket wasn't really filled yet or defined, right? That bucket became release engineering. And um, so I'm not sure that the, the patch release managers were necessarily aware of this when they took the role on the release team. But it, essentially what it means is that you're responsible for um, the post uh, the post minor release, right, for the entirety of the support cycle for a specific Kubernetes release, right? So 118 comes out, you become responsible for 118.1 through however long it takes for 121 to go out the door, right? Right, right. Um, and again, that's not that's not a sustainable thing, right? Um, you know, you sign up for a team for a quarter and you are essentially on the hook for a year, right? Um, so, so we turn that into a team, right? Um, and what's really, really cool about the patch release team is that we have, uh, we have people in Shanghai and Japan and London and New York and Portland 
and California, I think. Right. Wait, who's in Portland? Um, Tim Pepper. Oh, wow. I haven't met Tim. Yeah. I think he's in Portland. I'm pretty sure he's in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> um, but without without actually meaning to, we've uh, essentially established kind of a, a follow the sun rotation yeah. for um, for the patch release team, right? And that's a massive difference from, you know, a year and a half ago, maybe, right? Where it was a single person for each release cycle. Um, so we kind of continued that work. And um, the next role that we kind of got rid of was the the first role that we officially got rid of um was the the test info role right um so uh catherine barry um who is uh one of the test info on call folks at google superhuman honestly some mm-hmm. of the work that she does um she came in and and shadowed the the test info role on the release team and was like I'm going to delete this role and, and wrote and wrote so many, so much automation under the covers around like the way that we generate test jobs, the way that we introspect on, um, on certain test failures. Um, and by the end of the cycle, she'd done it. Right. So that's fantastic. You know, the last piece uh, of uh, you know, of, of that, kind of process was documenting it right so we did a bunch of documentation on um, some of the tools that were written and you know some of the processes and figured out how to shift those around right so there's a kind of shared between uh, the CI signal role which still exists on the release team and the branch manager role now the branch manager we shifted out of the release team as well um, because I was starting to think like what would happen if we so once someone leaves the release team, um, maybe they come back, maybe they get consulted on different issues, what have you. Um, but sometimes that you know, sometimes that knowledge is lost, right? You 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 have the opportunity to to um, to empower someone for a quarter, and, uh, and work life you know, lack of interest, what have you. Of course, yeah. you know, any of those things can come into play where. Um, you don't get to continue working with them on awesome stuff, right? Um, so I was, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, what if we could turn this into essentially a, a second ladder, right? And I, I think a lot of people see a SIG release and they think release team, right? That is not all that we do. Right. Um, I, I think uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, so everything is driven around producing a release, ensuring the quality of a Kubernetes release, and and deciding to not release if if you know if certain requirements aren't met. Um, but there's also release engineering, which is actually working on the tooling around right. uh, uh, you know around executing release there's there's licensing right so understanding understanding like the stuff that we're putting in our code is it you know is it up to snuff is it you know does it does it adhere um to the licensing policies that we're we're governed by on the on the cncf and lf side right um so you know they're you know and then there's a there's a publishing bot right there there are the intersects that we have with <laughs> with the um with the the kate's infra team right so there are a lot of little things that are 
well, they're not little things; they're big things that are going on. Yeah. Um, so the 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 release engine, the release managers group, which is what this ladder became, um, is part of the release engineering sub project, right? Um, so they're essentially a team that exists within a sub project, um, and the idea is that you know the so what we did was we took the branch manager role, which is essentially responsible for uh, making sure that the branch gets cut for the release, right? generating the, the test jobs, fast forwarding the release branch, master into the release branch daily at a certain time, and then finally, you know, doing the dot zero, right? So we took that team and the branch manager shadows at the time and shifted them into this ladder, right, from the release team over into the release managers group. Um, so the idea is that we wanted to kind of create this, um, you could grow into you could go from a, a shadow, which is now a release manager associate, right, into a branch manager. And then a branch manager could evolve their skill set into a patch release team member, right? And the patch release team is, is kind of intended to be the, the terminal role for, for, that, for that ladder. Um, and, you know, because, uh, again, what we had before is kind of this... Um, set of people who are learning these skills and then not necessarily getting to transfer them into yeah. something different. Right. So wanted to try to find some continuity in that. And we're still, you know, we're still tweaking stuff and trying to figure out um, what the, you know, trying to figure out like what the right projects for, um, for someone up and coming uh, to work on are. Right. Cause this is hairy stuff, right. This is, you know, do it wrong and you could break Kubernetes, right? Sure. <laughs> what about, um, so one of the things I, I noticed, you know, that, that happened with OpenStack is that things got to a point where people had so much, um, uh, I guess I want to say they had so much investment in that community, in the OpenStack community, that they sort of, weren't dependent on their employers as much anymore, you know, like somebody could go get a job at a different OpenStack vendor if, if they weren't happy where they were at, you know, and it was almost like that became their career, you know, the project itself as opposed to like their employer. And I'm wondering if you're seeing that with Kubernetes, if there are people who, you know, are, are getting to that point where they're, you know, they've got so much banked on Kubernetes that it's, it's really advancing their career in general. Yeah, I, um, I am one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised to hear you say that. <laughs> so yeah, so I, you know, I spent uh, time at I, I spent time at uh, CoreOS, and CoreOS was acquired by Red Hat, and um, then decided to mosey on over to uh, Heptio, which, as I was interviewing at Heptio or getting my offer letter, um, they were getting acquired by VMware, right? So, That's amazing. I didn't I didn't actually realize that you came in through Heptio. I thought you had just like worked at VMware directly. For, for a hot second, right? It was essentially uh, for the time of the interview and then my offer letter was was on VMware paper. Um, yeah. so you know that was also going going on while you know the IBM acquisition was happening and you know so it's um people are like how does it feel? Right? You're getting you know it's kind of the the Russian dolls of of cloud native <laughs> of cloud native companies, right? Um, consolidating power and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it matters. And I, I think that, yeah. um, you are, you're definitely more than your work. Right. Um, yeah. and, and 
you know, it's it's important to have hobbies and it's important to have things that are outside of um, your specific, your nine to six or however long you work. Um, and Kubernetes is definitely one of those for, for me. Um, we had a we had a talk in Barcelona to to close out ba Barcelona a panel talking about uh, burnout, and yeah, um, one of the things I mentioned during that panel is it, I think it's important to differentiate the um, the Kubernetes that you do for work and the Kubernetes that you do for play, right? Um, because it's very easy to blur those lines, forget when to close the laptop, and you know, yeah, um, but the stuff that you do for play, maybe your work is advantageous for, you know, mobility later. Um, the stuff that you do for play, maybe you're just genuinely enjoying that and someone's noticing it, right? You, you know, you've got lots of little side projects that have turned into, um, turned into things that people really depend on, um, things that companies really depend on, right? Um, so, and, and, you know, and, and also we're, we've just got a good vibe about us, right? It's, it's, it's really, I feel the Kubernetes community is a family, right? I, I have to tell you, I, you know, it's one of the reasons why I was interested in doing this podcast because um, I was down at KubeCon in San Diego and I was talking to people and it just, it just kept, you know, um, kept coming up in my head that, you know, I'd like to talk to this person more, right? There's so many <laughs> awesome people in the community. And, and I just kept thinking, wow, this would be a, a great way to, you know, get a chat with folks more and, and learn more about them as people, you know, beyond just what they're doing, you know, in their roles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that um, what I really enjoy about the SIG meetings and, and the offsites, the the conferences that we do is um, you get to see these people. You may have forgotten where they worked, but you know what they work on in Kubernetes, right? It's kind of one of those things where you're um, one of one of the community's values is is um is is supposed to be project over um over company right yeah um so to see people bring their authentic self to the project to just do great work right you know they're always um i think it's you know naive to assume that there aren't corporate agendas behind some of these things but um i i think you know the experience so far for me um for i guess what is it two years and change i guess that i've been doing this um has been extremely positive and and um all i try to do in my work is, is provide that same experience to people but i, I you know I, I definitely think that um yeah this this project for sure provides a, a a bit of flexibility and mobility um in terms of what you you do next right yeah um, anyone who has dealt with the um the corporate recruiting world um knows that knows that a lot of this starts with uh you know a lot of this starts with uh keywords for the ets right so um, yeah. Kubernetes is definitely one of those Kubernetes and Cloud Native are definitely one of those keywords right now. Well, and who you know too, you know, and so I feel like people getting involved in the community and meeting people is is a big benefit to them from that perspective too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Well, hey, Stephen, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed having you on as my first guest. I uh, I think we probably ought to wrap it up. I could talk to you all night, to be honest. Let's but, do uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> we probably ought to shut the recording off. Like um, but I just wanted to ask you if there's anything you wanted to share in terms of like where people can find you on the internet, anything like that. Sure. Yeah, I am uh, just Augustus uh, on most platforms. So on, on Twitter, I'm Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Augustus, A-U-G-S-T-U-S. Okay. Um, on CNCF and on Kubernetes Slack, as well as GitHub, I'm just Augustus. So it's not just that... That username is a play on the fact that a lot of my email addresses used to just be Augustus at whatever company. Gotcha. Right. So it's, so, <laughs> so it's uh, they're like, hey, what's your username? It's it's just Augustus. And they're like, oh, so Augustus at, and they're like, no, 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 it's just Augustus. Like the word. <laughs> um, so that's, oh my gosh. So that's a troll for everyone. Um, but you can find me on most platforms as, as just Augustus. And um, do we give out email? Do we want to give out email if you? Um, you can if you want. Yeah, if you're if you're dying to reach out to me via email, um, it's uh, Stephen S T E P H E N at A G S T dot U S. So that's like Augustus without the U's. Okay, fantastic. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on. Stephen. Thank this you so much. It was a lot of fun. Take it easy, Rich. Cube Cuddle was created and hosted by me, Rich Burrows. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider telling a friend. It helps a lot. Big thanks to Emily Griffin, who designed the logo. You can find her at daybrighton.com. And thanks to Montplacere for our music. You can find more of his work at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Thanks a lot for listening. 